This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, The Onion Radio News, A Best of the Left Activism Update, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Majority Report, Media Matters, The David Pakman Show, and The BBC News Quiz. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, though it's not graphic, this episode does acknowledge the existence of women. Greg Gutfeld obviously is not good at making jokes. He wasn't funny when he made fun of your name, and he wasn't funny in this next clip where he talks about how uh, the National Organization of Women is irrelevant because women have all the rights they could possibly want or need. Let's watch. Hillary Rosen's um, war on uh, working, or sorry, stay-at-home moms. Yeah, first of all, boycott, really, Eric? Why can't it be a girl cot? You make me sick to my stomach. Anyway, uh, let's let's, let's look at now. Uh, Now, the only people that are in now are people who work in now. There are more women in NASCAR than now. Perhaps they're a victim of their own success. They're not. They're not as relevant as they are anymore because, for example, women have you know all the rights that you know they can shop. Um, but I think you're right. I think that, that this isn't about rush. This is a, this isn't about getting rid of rush. It's about reviving now, making it more relevant. I love that. I love that, right? Misogyny isn't an issue. Women have all the rights they need. They go shopping. I'm going to make an argument that misogyny doesn't exist, that women have all the rights that they want by making a, a sexist comment about them. Yeah. Fuck you. Oh, damn. You're okay. like, no, but, but that's just what Fox News is, right? They hire clowns to make clownish arguments. Right. Now, look, you know that he's partly tongue-in-cheek. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We know. He's kidding because he's a funny man, right? Except he's not. Right. right. <laughs> Except that they're not because the policies that they advocate are against women. You know, they're not for equal pay, for example, right? Let alone the reproductive rights, et cetera, et cetera. And then whenever you point that out, they're like, oh, you look at this, Hillary Rosen. And besides, which feminists, they're irrelevant. The only decent point he had is that you could make a conservative argument for now has outlived its usefulness because they, they were so successful in the past that, that now women do have equal, equality of opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. That's a conservative argument you can make on Fox News that has no problems. Agree or disagree, at least it's fine. It's a legitimate argument. But it, he, of course, he's like, because <laughs> they can go shopping and make us sandwiches. <laughs> and the, like the 85-year-olds that watch Fox News are like, yeah, I like that old guy, that young whippersnapper. <laughs> He's a funny one, that gut felt guy. Someday I'll be always dignified and old. Will my friends say I deceive myself? And that I contradict myself? And I can't say if they're right. But I'm not ashamed. Oh, I can't take a challenge. And so I won't die. It's the Onion Radio News. A narcissist mentally undresses himself. This is Doyle Redland reporting. 
J.P. Morgan Chase and Company project manager and narcissist Brian Knowles undressed himself with his eyes today while his secretary Sandra Hutchins delivered the day's agenda. The six-foot-two-inch, 185-pound Knowles, who has been deeply infatuated with himself for some time, had this to say. The entire time Sandra was talking, I was imagining my clothing coming off piece by piece. I thought I was going to lose it when I yawned and stretched so seductively. It's a miracle I get any work done running around in that tasty Armani suit all day. Knowles added that he's so asking for it. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News. Well, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I know that I just want to look some more. And I won't be satisfied till there's nothing left that I haven't tried. For some people it's an easy choice, but for me there's a devil and an angel's voice. Well, I don't know what I am looking for, but I know that I just want to look some Welcome to the Best of the Left Activism Update. My name is Lauren, and I'm the Activism Czar at bestoftheleft.com. Okay, ladies and feminist men, listen up. This GOP-produced war on women has gone too far. Well, to be fair, it went too far during the Republican primaries months ago, but has since escalated to a point of no return. You would think these men running the Republican show would have more common sense. I mean, women make up half the voting electorate. One would think they too desire equal rights and equal protection under the law for their mothers and sisters and wives and daughters. Well, guess again. We continue to live in a patriarchal world, and if you thought this war on women was limited to the nutwing, radical right, fundamental Santorums and Perrys running for office, Mitt Romney is not as moderate as most of us have been led to believe. While he may appear as a bumbling, out-of-touch capitalist, superficially pandering to every base for electoral purposes, for instance, his then-Massachusetts gubernatorial support of Planned Parenthood and gay rights, to his now-contradictory current stump speeches where he articulates his stance against marriage equality and contraception. As a sidebar, for an excellent ideology on the war on women, we highly recommend Frank Rich's New York Magazine article, which we will link on the show notes. Inside, Rich articulates Romney's long history of personal patriarchal fundamentalism in his business practices, his Mormonism as bishop, and his private relationships. He is even behind shutting down Title X, the federally funded family planning program that supports many women's health initiatives, and has yet to say whether he supports equal pay for equal work. So back to the GOP. Let's recap what has transpired thus far. Since January, the Republicans have proposed redefining rape to only cases of, quote, forcible rape to deny access to women's health services, voted repeatedly to defund Planned Parenthood, held a hearing on women's health with five men and no women present, voted to give corporations the power to deny women access to contraception, and threatened to renew the once bipartisan Violence Against Women Act, then voted for a watered-down version that omits help for those who fall under immigrant and LGBT status. If you thought Rush Limbaugh attacking Sandra Fluke triggered an outrage in conservative mindsets, well, my friends, the only anger it evoked was that Limbaugh turned what was covertly being implemented into an overt expose of the GOP gamebook. In other words, they weren't mad at what he said, but that he said it during an electoral year. 
and it is only escalating from here. Last week, two Michigan Democratic representatives, Lisa Brown and Barb Byram, were barred by the Republican-controlled Congress from a second day of speaking because, get this, they used, quote, inappropriate language when addressing the speaker. Their words, you asked? Vagina and vasectomy. As a feisty dem brilliantly suggested on behalf of all lady parts, if you can't say it, you can't legislate it. These misogynists will do anything to silence our voice and our ability to choose what is right for us, our bodies, and our families. Being the best of the left female half, I'm pretty upset. And Jay is too. So let's get mad and then do something about it. First, we must support the progressive women representatives that are right now fighting this war inside state legislatures and in the Capitol. Now, I don't mean every woman is by nature progressive. Someone like Michelle Bachman is no more a feminist than Larry Craig is a gay rights activist. Many women continue to be what I will call misogyny apologists. But we must support the women's voices who have real women's interests in mind. This occurred last week in Michigan when women from all over the country gathered outside the state building to read the vagina monologues as a playful and powerful demonstration of female power. Second, while it has come under so much attack and since there are multiple chapters in the country, let us do our part to support Planned Parenthood. Please go to Planned Parenthood's Action Center at PlannedParenthoodAction.org. Here you can learn all about the issues and directly get involved. Lastly, state by state, new disturbing bills are making their way through legislatures, like Virginia's mandatory transvaginal ultrasound requirement. Please go to UniteWomen.org to learn more about what's going on in your state and to take action. We are not going to sit back and politely take what these misogynists are implementing. We are progressive women, so as they say, hear us roar. This has been a passionately argued best of the left activism update. For more information about the links mentioned in this segment, please consult the show notes at bestoftheleft.com. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as 5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. The woman of your dreams just may have a Russian accent. Don't take it from me, uh, take it from this mail order bride company website. All afternoon when I was prepping for this segment in my office today, I was <laughs> very worried that somebody was going to walk in the door of my office and see me with this up on my computer screen. I thought people would think I was looking at porn. Uh, technically, this is not porn. This is the website for a marriage service. See, it says so right there above the lady with the bra straps falling down and the lady in the red, white, and blue bikini, who is maybe, what is she doing? Is she stretching? Is that some sort of bikini yoga? We think of the mail-order bride industry as a relic of the past, but the industry not only still exists, it has been updated for the computer age. So you don't pick your bride out from the back of a magazine or a catalog now, now you pick her out online. 
This service, Encounters International, specifically markets Russian ladies. They say Russian women are no longer the best-kept secret of the Cold War. They advertise to American men who might want to marry these women and thereby allow them to emigrate to this country. They advertise that Russian women, quote, have a different outlook on life and marriage. They are less materialistic than their American counterparts and are more family-oriented. As wives, they desire to build a loving home, follow their husband's lead, and stick with the marriage even when times get tough and things stop being fun. I'm not sure exactly what they mean by when things stop being fun, uh, but one, one of the worrying aspects of the whole mail-order bride phenomenon, uh, not just now, but always, is that a woman who immigrates to the United States using a service like this can end up dependent for her immigration status in this country on the American man to whom she has just been married for a fee. And if that American man starts beating her up, an immigrant woman who came to America under these circumstances can kind of be trapped. I mean, you don't want her to stay with the abusive guy who bought her hand in marriage on the internet. But if she leaves the abusive American husband, she also may lose the marriage tie that was making it legal for her to be here. And she will therefore get deported. So that's the choice, right? Stay with the man who is beating you or get deported. To help women out of that disgusting and dangerous trap, there is a program by which women who are being abused and whose immigration status depends on being married to their abuser, those women can, in a low-key way, without tipping off the guy who is beating them, uh, they can apply for legal immigration status in this country that's unconnected to the abusive husband. It is a special visa program under the Violence Against Women Act. Republicans in Washington are trying to roll that back. The Violence Against Women Act was first passed almost 20 years ago. When he was in the Senate, Vice President Joe Biden wrote the original bill. It passed with bipartisan support. The act was reauthorized in the year 2000. It was reauthorized again in 2005. It has never been a particularly controversial thing until now. Republicans in the Senate initially voted it down this year on a party line vote. They gave it zero votes in committee. It finally did pass the full Senate on a 68 to 31 vote. All 31 no votes there were all male Republican senators. All the Republican women in the Senate voted for it, but 31 men voted no. But now it's over in the House. And House Republicans are not for it. They introduced a Republican counterproposal that undoes big portions of the Violence Against Women Act. Their changes, for example, would take away the anonymity from that special visa program for beaten women, thereby advancing the important public policy goal of alerting the abusive husbands of mail-order brides if the woman they're beating is trying to get away from them. Why has the Violence Against Women Act turned into this? Why, why have the politics around this issue changed so much this year, after being such a non-controversial thing for decades? It's because the right wing of the right wing um, just decided this year that they were going to make an issue out of it. Uh, this, for example, is a letter signed by the Family Research Council, by the Eagle Forum, by Liberty Council, which is affiliated with the Jerry Falwell University, at which Mitt Romney gave the commencement speech this past weekend. Uh, also, the Traditional Values Coalition, this is them writing to Congress to say, don't reauthorize the Violence Against Women Act. As first reported by Right Wing Watch today, one of the signatories to this letter is a former vice chair of the North Carolina Republican Party, who himself has a felony domestic violence conviction on his record. He got a suspended sentence of 18 months in prison after admitting to beating his wife into the hospital, breaking her nose, breaking her toes, breaking a piece of furniture over her back, 
Police found his wife in the couple's home on Christmas Day, bleeding from the face and suffering from other injuries. He pled guilty to felony aggravated assault in that case. He is now one of the signatories to the Vote Against the Violence Against Women Act letter, right? It's a letter signed by him and by all those groups that have the word values in their names. One of the other signatories on, in this coalition that seems to have persuaded Republicans to be against the Violence Against Women Act this year uh, is a group called SAVE, S-A-V-E, a group based in Rockville, Maryland. They have been lobbying House Republicans to oppose the Violence Against Women Act this year. They've been lobbying specifically to roll back some of the protections for immigrant women. The treasurer of that group, SAVE, that, that's lobbying to get rid of the visa rule that I explained that can help mail order brides, one of the officers of that group, the treasurer of that group, is the founder of this thing that everybody thought was porn on my website all day today, the Russian mail order bride company, which again promises that these women will follow their husband's lead and stick with the marriage even when times get tough. And just think how much tougher you can make those times if she knows that not sticking with the marriage means she gets deported back to Russia. So yeah, the whole Republicans have a war on women thing, uh, this is the sort of thing that has given rise to that sentiment that Republicans have a war on women. This is how you earn a political epithet like that. And for what it's worth, the Democrats have, have, have really been fighting like heck on this issue. President Obama has personally brought this issue up multiple times in recent weeks. The president all but promising to veto the Republicans' rollback of the Violence Against Women Act, which passed the House today. Vice President Biden has brought the issue up multiple times. He, of course, wrote the first Violence Against Women Act. One of the president's top advisors, Valerie Jarrett, has an op-ed out on this issue today. Nancy Pelosi has been front-paging this issue in her position as the Democrats' leader in the House. And today, at a press conference on Capitol Hill, a Wisconsin Democratic congresswoman named Gwen Moore went all out, uh, not just on the legislation, but on what in her personal experience has convinced her that the Violence Against Women Act is so important. You know, one experience that I had uh, that occurred to me, uh, I thought of this morning, was a time when I took a ride with a guy I thought was a friend to go to, to get some fried chicken. And he decided to take a detour behind some buildings to rape me and choke me almost to death. I was sort of seeing that little light that you often hear about. As a woman of color, I am particularly aggrieved that this bill ignores the special circumstances of women who are minorities, women who are in the shadows. Stop playing games with the lives of women. This is yet another. They don't want to hear us talk about it being a war on women. But I mean, this is, this is a direct assault. Assault on women's lives. Three women a day die from victimization. And I would implore my colleagues to stop playing games. The House voted on and passed the Republican rollback of the Violence Against Women Act today passed it on a nearly party line vote. So that was today in this crazy war on women idea that has no basis in reality. You want to know what Republicans are going to do tomorrow to earn that epithet all over again? Tomorrow Republicans are focusing on Washington DC, which as you know, is the seat of our nation's capital. Uh, it is also, in its own right, a real American city. D.C. has a mayor, it has a city council, but it is not a state and it is not part of any state. And therefore, Congress, as a federal entity, plays this weirdly local role in what the city of Washington, D.C. can do with its own business. 
As such, D.C. often bears the brunt of, what, uh, of whatever is in political fashion for members of Congress that year. They tend to take you know, their highest priority partisan issues at the federal level and impose them on the District of Columbia against D.C.'s will. Republicans are in control of the House right now. And, and, and what's the priority for Republicans this year? What's the issue that they are focused on, more focused on making policy about than anything else across the country? That would be the issue of abortion, abortion rights. Arizona Congressman Trent Franks, he represents Arizona, has decided that in his infinite Arizona wisdom, he should take it upon himself to limit when you are allowed to get an abortion if you are a woman who lives in Washington, D.C. They keep doing this. House Republicans insisted last year as part of the national budget that Washington, D.C. be blocked as a city from using any of its own city funds to subsidize any abortion services. Not federal money. But the city's own money, they're not allowed to decide what to do with it. Congress is likely this year to force a ban on local funding for abortions as a condition of D.C. getting some say in its own budget. And now, Republican Congressman Trent Franks has a standalone bill that he's holding a hearing on tomorrow about the federal government stepping in to impose new limits on abortion rights for women who live in Washington, D.C. Why should a guy from Arizona be legislating what happens in this little city that's between Maryland and Virginia? Jobs, jobs, jobs? Uh, I, I have no idea why Trent Franks thinks he was sent to Congress to impose on a city he does not represent rules that that city does not want. But he seems very confident in it. He seems so confident in it, in fact, that he is not allowing the member of Congress who represents Washington, D.C. to have a say in this matter. I mean, actually, she's not allowed to vote, so she definitely doesn't get to have a say in this matter, but he won't even let her comment on it. He won't even allow her to be heard on the subject. Trent Franks, Republican congressman from Arizona, is holding a hearing on his anti-abortion bill that targets D.C. tomorrow. The representative from D.C., Eleanor Holmes Norton, has asked to speak at that hearing since it is a hearing only about her city. The answer from House Republicans is no. It is about Washington, D.C., but the views of the elected representative from D.C. are not welcome. Not when the guys are busy talking about abortion. Jobs, jobs, jobs. Really sorry now for what they've done. were three wise men just trying to have some fun. Look who's alone now. It's not me. It's not me. Doggy, I hope I don't piss anyone off the other day with my puppy ultrasound analogy. Analogy, long doggy. No, I don't think you did. The show was ending, and I was trying to finish typing the I am in a hurry. I think the point was I was trying to make is that these forced ultrasound laws are using a psychological tactic to make the seeking of an abortion more traumatizing and painful for women. Of course. Of course that's what it's trying to do. Of course. I think they're going to be largely uh, effective. I, I, I think they're going to be effective in trying to make the experience uh, traumatizing and painful, but I don't, I don't think it's going to have any um, impact on a woman's decision. I mean, the implication is that Women don't realize what they're doing. And I, I just don't accept that premise.
I mean, we could also, when you go in for a, uh, to get your appendix removed or your tonsils removed, we could show people a video of that procedure. I mean, maybe we should. Maybe we should start having laws forcing doctors. If you're going to force women to have an ultrasound, whether it's transvaginal or in any way, whether you're going to force women to uh, listen to the heartbeat of a uh, fetus before they are allowed to have a legitimate medical procedure, then let's force everybody who goes in for a legitimate medical procedure to get a full video of what that procedure is going to be. You're a kid and you get your tonsils removed, you got to sit down and watch a 10-minute video of another kid getting their tonsil removed. You're going in for a heart bypass, watch the video of them sawing your chest in half, pulling your rib cage apart, going in, removing a vein from your leg, and then putting it into your chest. You get in a root canal, you're going to love the video of that before you, uh, you get that root canal. And remember, it's going to happen 24 hours in advance. So that you can really build up that feel, uh, feeling of terror when you go in for that procedure. Any procedure, you got to watch a video of that procedure just for the sake of full consent so that you know what you're doing. That should be the law, too. We set ourselves free, and now we'll be forever wandering. We set ourselves free. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently-owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Lila Rose and her anti-abortion organization known as Live Action did a sting operation, they call it a sting operation, where they had pregnant actors go into uh, numerous Planned Parenthoods and pretend as if they're trying to have an abortion based on the sex of the fetus, okay? They're trying to show that there's a widespread sex selection abortion going on in Planned Parenthood, and it's a real problem that we need to focus on. Well, of course, Bill O'Reilly had Lila Rose on his program to talk about this real issue that we're having in America. Let's watch. You may know about the pro-life group Live Action. It sets up stings across the country involving abortion-related matters. Now, last month, Live Action entered a Planned Parenthood clinic in Austin, Texas, and spoke to a counselor there about possibly aborting a fetus if it turned out to be a girl. 
I see that you say you want to terminate if it's a girl, so are you just wanted to continue the pregnancy um, in the meantime, or what? Yeah, I think that would be the... Um, the plan. I've had two abortions and I have four kids. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. So, so I mean, um, again, yeah. from experience, yeah. no, okay. there's nothing wrong with being pregnant immediately. Okay. Right after. <laughs> all right. So then I'd want to schedule, um, try to schedule an ultrasound with an OB around then, and then I would still mm -hmm. be able to come back here mm -hmm. for a termination no, if it was a girl. Angela. Well, good luck. Thank and, you. And I hope that you do get your boy. All right, so my question is, are we now China in this country? If Planned Parenthood is advising women to abort because of gender choice, then we are China. And you should remember that the next time a politician or famous person endorses Planned Parenthood. No, we're not China. This video pisses me off so much. Like, I can't contain myself. I'll let you speak in a second. But it's so ridiculous because he doesn't question anything. I'm disgusted by the fact that they started that video needlessly with that Planned Parenthood employee saying that she had two abortions. Why is that anyone's business? Why was that included in your freaking news uh, story? That, that's not relevant at all to the point that you're trying to make. It's to make her look like a horrible person because she had abortion. So that's my first issue with it. Another issue is, no, we're not China. In fact, the, uh, the birth of boys in comparison to girls has actually increased in the country. <laughs> okay, so no, we're not having a problem with that. Stop turning it into an issue when it's not an issue. There are real consequences to this kind of fear-mongering. And we'll get to that story later. Okay. Can I go now, Kanye? Okay, go okay. ahead. <laughs> All right. No, seriously. He said she was advising her on abortions about, you know, no, no, no. The woman came in saying, I want to do an abortion exactly. based on uh, the gender, right? And the woman was trying to empathize with her, the employee there, and said, I had a couple of abortions. Now, as we said yesterday, Darun Ravi got 30 days in jail, and people thought he should have gotten more for revealing the private moments of his roommate who happened to be gay and was having sex. I think revealing that someone has abortions when they told you that in a private setting is in some ways worse, okay? And yet there are no consequences for that. Fox News loves that. Second of all, this issue, as Anna pointed out, is entirely invented. There are no facts to back it up, hence that's why it's on Fox News. It's like voter fraud. It, we literally we did a story where we sh showed you the numbers, and there's literally more shark attacks in Florida over the last four years than there is cases of voter fraud. See, Fox makes these up to scare their audience and to get them all worked up, and then Bill O'Reilly will come on and call somebody like Dr. Tiller a baby killer until someone shoots him. Let, right? me, let me give you guys the exact numbers so you can. I know, I know you already know that this isn't a real problem in the country, but the numbers speak for themselves. The number of baby boys born per 1,000 baby girls has actually decreased slightly, but steadily over the last 30 years. In 1983, there were 1,052 boys born per every 1,000 girls in the U.S. In 2009, it was 1,048 boys born for every 1,000 girls. This is not an issue. Yeah. And the other thing that Fox News does and the right wing does is they bring in hidden cameras. Now, the hidden camera doesn't have to show anything. In 9 out of 10 cases, it doesn't. And remember, they're only showing you the best stuff they got. They try this over and over and over again. They never get anybody who's an executive on. They didn't go to a, the head of the Planned Parenthood. No, they found one employee in one state who actually, I don't think, said anything wrong, by the way, and was fired from Planned Parenthood within three days. Mm -hmm. Okay, wow, you're so courageous you got her. But actually, when you watch the video, it's not that damaging at all, but it's a hidden camera. It's like they could take pictures of anything. They're like, we took a hidden camera into the Young Turks and found out they were doing a talk show. 
Yeah, I know that that's what we do, right? But the, of course, their audience is like the, the knuckleheads. Remember, if you watch Fox News, according to a recent study by Fairleigh Dickinson University, you are less informed than if you got no news at all. Right. Okay, you're negatively informed. So those knuckleheads watch that and go, oh my God, it's a hidden camera. It's a hidden camera. Oh my God, they got him. They got him. I saw it on a hidden camera. O'Reilly finally speaks to Lila Rose, the conservative hero who really busted these Planned Parenthood employees. The gender is known after about 20, 22 weeks, correct? Right. Most de gender detection technologies are 20 weeks. That's are the most used. So she's asking the Planned Parenthood worker, what do we do to detect the gender? And the Planned Parenthood worker is saying, you're in the late, late first trimester, so wait to confirm that it's a little girl. Go lie to the OBGYN, use Medicaid, you know, Texas, use the Medicaid program to get an ultrasound, and then come back here and schedule a late-term, a late-term abortion sure. if it's a little girl. Right. I mean, horrific, a, a horrific disregard for human life here. She's just totally making things up. Yeah, that wait, I watched that video, video twice. I didn't get that at all. And a late-term abortion is normally in the third trimester. They didn't talk about the third trimester at all. But like they got, they put a hidden camera and then they get this woman on and she, it's just okay, she's a woman, right? So she's credible on this issue. And she says, oh, let me tell you, uh, what you just saw wasn't really what you saw. Instead it was this. Oh my God, outrage, late term abortion, default blood paranoid right away. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Chelsea Rudman. Fox News personalities are following in Rush Limbaugh's footsteps this week by attacking prominent female leaders and celebrities. First up, Brian Kilmeade and discredited author Ed Klein commented on Hillary Clinton's appearance. Now, I don't want to sound uh, anti-feminist here, but she does, she's not looking good these days. She's looking overweight and she's looking very tired. It looks and like she's not trying, to be honest. Two other Fox personalities Megyn Kelly and Greg Gutfeld launched personal attacks on Vogue editor-in-chief Anna Wintour, who is co-hosting a fundraiser for the Obama campaign. Anna Wintour is the face of your campaign. Your face. Your campaign may need a <laughs> facelift. Does the, does the Obama campaign benefit by having her fundraise for him? Well, quite frankly, any dollar that comes in from anyone for the president or for Mitt Romney benefits these guys, because this race is Why very not get close. Satan? Not These are really tough numbers. These numbers are devastating. These job numbers are pathetic. Why don't they pick up the bills and pass them and help the American people instead of playing politics over there? Americans woke up this morning to some gut check news. The unemployment rate went up by a tenth of a point. It's now 8.2 percent. The economy did add new jobs this past month, but it added less than half as many new jobs as economists were expecting it to. Feh. In terms of why this is happening, well, part of it is that government jobs, public sector jobs, continue to be the major drag on employment. Uh, every time somebody talks about shrinking government because they care about jobs, what they mean is they're going to fire somebody who works for the government. So it means people lose their jobs. We lost 13,000 government jobs in May. The only reason we still added jobs overall is because of the private sector, private companies adding jobs, but not enough. 
But overall, take a look at the great Steve Bennon's famous job growth chart, uh, formerly known as the Bikini Graph. And you can see that job growth is slowing down. Yesterday morning, Politico.com reports that uh, the Republican House Speaker John Boehner held a closed-door meeting with the Republicans in the House. Politico quotes him as telling his caucus, quote, Let's call bullpucky bullpucky. This election is about jobs, jobs, jobs. Only he didn't say bullpucky. He said a word that also begins with bull but only has two syllables, and it's one that I cannot repeat on basic cable. But he says jobs, jobs, jobs. Jobs are the agenda. Jobs are the only issue that matters. Jobs are all we are working on. Jobs is our only focus. So says John Boehner to House Republicans yesterday. You want to know what House Republicans actually did work on yesterday? Say it with me now. Abortion! Just a few hours after the big rousing jobs, jobs, jobs speech, Republicans headed down to the House floor to get to work on what they actually work on, which is yet another Republican anti-abortion bill. An anti-abortion bill they had put on an expedited legislative fast track to make sure they could bring it to the floor. Because of that expedited process, the bill needed a two-thirds majority to pass. That did not happen, so the bill failed. But don't let that make you think that Republicans are giving up their laser-like focus on jobs, by which I mean abortion. Ahead of yesterday's big anti-abortion vote, that bill's sponsor, Republican Congressman Trent Franks of Arizona, told The Hill newspaper that Republicans might, could maybe bring that bill up again, later, under regular rules this time, so it would only need a simple majority to pass. In fact, he says yesterday's defeat of the big Trent Franks anti-abortion bill was all part of Republicans' master plan to keep the whole focus of the Congress on jobs, by which I mean abortion. As reported in the Washington Post, even before the vote yesterday, Congressman Franks conceded in an interview that his anti-abortion measure would probably fail, but he said, I think we're doing the right thing strategically by forcing Democrats to vote against it. So we know it will fail, but we like making Democrats vote on abortion anyway. It just feels good. Also, it passes the time. Jobs, jobs, jobs. When Republicans took over the House, H.R. 3, as in H.R. number 3, as in right at the top of their policymaking agenda, was an anti-abortion bill. Last year, with Republicans newly in charge, the House held more votes on abortion bills than it had in a decade. This year, this election year, this jobs, jobs, jobs election year, Republicans have just introduced at least five new, five more anti-abortion bills on top of what they did last year. So what is it that you were saying about bullpucky, Mr. Speaker? Why don't they pick up the bills and pass them and help the American people instead of playing politics over there? Yeah, yeah why, why don't they? Jobs, jobs, jobs. Excellent point, sir. Another interesting thing that's going on related to this is that there's a Republican, well, you know, actually, I, I, di I didn't even really have to tell you that it's a Republican, but there is a, a Wisconsin state senator, and you, you would have known which party he was a member of. His name's uh, Glenn Grothman, 
who says that women are paid less because money is simply more important for men. That's all it is, Lewis. That, that's all that's going on. Interesting. Does he have a study to back this up? Uh, no, of course not. Okay. How could he possibly have a study? It's made up. Right. That's what I was wondering. He says that this repealing this equal pay law was really a no-brainer for him because pay discrimination is simply a myth driven by liberal women's groups. <laughs> if you, if, it's amazing because if you were to parody what a Republican talking point would be on something as basic as women's equal pay, you couldn't cre create a satire of it any better than saying the mere idea of that type of discrimination is a liberal fabrication. And that's exactly what Glenn Grothman is doing. I really wish we could just make up whatever we wanted. Yeah. You know? No, it would be, It'd great. be great. Life would be so easy. <laughs> he says that whatever gap exists, it stems from women's decision to prioritize child rearing over their careers. He says, take a hypothetical husband and wife who are both lawyers. The husband's working 50 or 60 hours a week. He's making 200 grand. The woman's taking time off. She wants to raise the kids. It's not, uh, it's not go, go, go for the money. So now they're 50 years old. The husband's making 200 grand a year. The woman's making 40 grand a year. It's not discrimination. She simply had other priorities. She didn't care as much about making money. Okay. <laughs> Do you like that idea, Lewis? Are you buying that? Uh, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. It's, it's funny. Um, it's creative. Well, the other he it's goes entertaining. Even, he goes even further. He says you could argue that money is more important for men because think about a guy in his first job. He expects to be the breadwinner someday, whereas a woman expects to at some point marry a breadwinner. Right. The implication is women are just out there assuming they'll eventually find a man to make money for them. W what an incredibly backwards. I mean, when we talk about. So is this guy's like background psychology? When we, when we talk about the term progressive and we talk about what's the counterpoint to that in terms of Republican and conservative policy, it is regressive. It, 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 what is more regressive than suggesting women just wait around for men to marry them and give them the money that they make as the breadwinners? Natan, this, it, it's almost a parody. I mean, it, it's, so, it, it's so misogynistic. I think what we can safely say is that there's a lot of women that are hoping that they'll never marry a guy like this. <laughs> well, yeah, that, the, the best assessment we can come from this is, uh, is that many women are out there hoping they'll never uh, even come across the possibility of having to date a guy like Glenn Grothman. Does he have a wife? I have no idea. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he's the breadwinner, right? I'm sure she doesn't care about money. Sounds like the breadwinner <laughs> to me. <laughs> In two-thirds of American families, by the way, women are either primary or co-breadwinners, and yet they still earn less than their male counterparts in every single of the 50 states. This isn't even a, a red, red, blue thing, Lewis. This is in every, in all of the 50 states. Oh, yeah, yeah. My question is, how can, how can a single woman vote for a Republican after we see this pervasive, we, we, there's, it's almost cliche to call it war on women, but it, it's what it is. It's not even an exaggeration. Well, what we ask ourselves is, isn't how can women vote for Republicans? It's how can anyone vote for, for someone with, concepts like this. Yeah, th no, you, it, actually that's a good point. It, yeah. We shouldn't even say, oh, not, men and women should both be uh, disgusted by this type, of, this type of statement and this type of policy. You're absolutely right. But what it comes down to is just not being informed. You think that's what it is? It's just low information voting? Low information, non-thinking. Yeah. I, I what else could it possibly be? Yeah, I think Jackson Katz made a good point about this on the show last week, which was, it's not about policy when you hear somebody like Rick Santorum and all of his anti-woman policy. It's about identifying with an experience that he had. It's kind of identity politics. And when you hear, hey, he had a wife who 
unfortunately had this, uh, it, it wasn't a miscarriage, I think it was a stillborn baby. And a, a lot of women can, can uh, identify with reproductive issues. So it almost pushes aside the actual policy of it and makes people just think to themselves, I can identify with something he has experienced, therefore I don't care about the policy, I'm going to vote for him anyway. It has to be something like that. But, right, and so they don't, they don't dive any deeper, they don't look into the policies, they don't look into... No, you're right, the, the because the reality thing. is, will your life be more affected by the fact that Rick Santorum had that experience, or by the policies he'll actually enact? So right. you're, you're absolutely right about that. Right. Okay, what, what do you think is the best thing, the thing about the show that is best and most appealing to, to somebody who listens or watches? Um, let's see. You see, I would have to think about that. <laughs> is this, is this the, that hard of a question? Is it that is. It is a hard question. It's like, what is the meaning of life? You can't just, uh, you can't just throw something out there. All right, well, you know what? None of us know what the, what, what's good about this show. What None we know is have... we have a show. We know the show exists. Pretty much. Well, if that doesn't make you curious, I don't know what will. Check out The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Rebecca, who is down in the dumps about going up in the world? Oh, right. This will be social mobility. It is. Yes, this is um, Alan Milburn, who is the... I think he is a czar, isn't he? Is he, is he a, more a, of a sultan. <laughs> <laughs> he's the social mobility czar. He is the czar. Yes, I like that. Anyway, he's producing a report into social mobility, and his preliminary findings are that there ain't none. It was reported also they were looking into women and uh, how few women get into top mm -hmm. jobs, which we all know, and they reckon that 30% of the most influential jobs are currently being done by women. I actually think that we're not really doing anybody any favours here tonight, you see, because there are a lot of women on this mm -hmm. panel here, yeah. and all we've done so far is make frivolous remarks. Yeah. <laughs> but in you terms really of... are so very glamorous, my <laughs> I only got this job by putting on a fake beard and pretending to be Andy. <laughs> but in terms of social mobility, the one thing that really sort of jumped out at me was that in the report that I read, I think in The Guardian, it said that Milburn's report, when it comes out, will urge teaching hospitals to actively select students with poorer grades to study medicine. Wow. I don't think that's really what social mobility is. No. <laughs> very, very happy to have people from poor backgrounds being my doctor, I'm really not so keen on having the ones who can't pass the exams. Didn't you get a social mobility scooter? <laughs> I like the, way, the idea of revving your way into a dinner party. <laughs> Part of the joy, really, I think, of social mobility is, is when people from a poorer background go to university and meet very wealthy people. I got a fantastic amount of entertainment value. When I went to Oxford, I, I took enormous pleasure in mixing with very rich people who had clearly never come across a person who'd actually, well, never come across a girl, for one thing, and certainly not one, <laughs> not one who'd been to a comprehensive school. They were quite baffled. I remember actually dancing with this very, very posh boy from a very, very posh school. And at one point, he just suddenly sort of went, <laughs> and I said, I thought, oh, hello, I've heard about this. Um, and I said, well, <laughs> everything all right? And he said, yeah, I was just thinking, wonder what my dad would say. And I said, about what? And he said, me, dancing with a Jewess. <laughs> I mean, you can't buy comedy. <laughs> like 
But I mean, the, the thing about women is, you know, if there was a woman in charge, because we all know what we're like, you know, we'd get a bit anxious once a month, a little bit of PMT. You know, when your tights kind of roll down and your gussets at your knees and it's very uncomfortable, you're slightly warm, your pants are rolling down your stomach, your, your tushy claws run out, and you would just declare war on someone. You know, you would just go, I've had enough, I've got a pimple, sod it, let's go into Iraq. Um, <laughs> because no one else would do that, would they? No man would ever declare an war illegally on another country. Of course, a woman would do that because she's feeling a little bit fat that day. <laughs> but uh, part of the issue, as I understand it, is that they say that the selection processes for careers are too haphazard. Okay, so it seems to me that that's you know law, medicine, those kind of things. That cannot be true in politics. I mean, the whole point of a democracy is that by its very nature. Every five years, those wishing for a career must go out there and convince Rupert Murdoch they're the right person for the job. I mean, surely there's a, there's a sort of a, there's a system for these things. Uh, Alan Milburn, Nick Clegg's social mobility advisor, has said that professions such as law, journalism and medicine must do more to widen their intake. When appointed by the coalition, his role was described as social mobility czar, a hereditary role passed to the first male-born son. <laughs> The other thing is that the war on women doesn't only extend to reproductive rights, contraception, abortion, etc. It also corresponds to pay equity, okay? And Senate Republicans have blocked a pay equity bill. And this is, um, this is, this is pretty disturbing. The motion needed 60 votes to succeed. It got 52, not a single one from Republicans. And this was a Democratic measure designed to ensure that women don't face pay discrimination. And, and Republicans blocked this yesterday. And they're complaining that this was politically inspired and also that it would reward trial lawyers at the expense of employers. So this follows the idea which we've talked about on the show, including with Susan Saladoff with about the movie Hot Coffee, this idea of the frivolous lawsuit. And this kind of, uh, we seem to be forgetting that if a lawsuit is actually frivolous, then a judge throws it out. We already have a very well-established judicial mechanism to make sure that if a lawsuit is frivolous, as it is often discussed, then it gets thrown out. It and should get thrown out. It should get thrown out. And, and if we believe in the justice system, which Republicans claim to, then we have to assume in most cases a so-called frivolous lawsuit will be thrown out, don't we? I guess it's safe to assume. Okay, so the bill would close loopholes in the 1963 Equal Pay Act. It would require, it would have required, that uh, employers prove that differences in pay are related to job performance and not gender. It would prevent employers from forbidding employees from discussing salaries with each other. Talk about conservatives who are in favor of freedom, but are okay with employers saying to their employees, you can't talk about your salary with other employees. 
Sounds like a pretty significant restriction on freedom to me, doesn't it? Uh, I, I would say it is, yeah. I mean, not to mention just the despicable act of, uh, of being able to discriminate freely uh, with your, what you pay. Sure. So we go back to the numbers, and the numbers that we often see presented are that women earn 77 cents for the, on the dollar compared to men. This reminds me of last year at Netroots Nation in Minneapolis. One of the nights I was at, um, there was a bar that had a, kind of like the going away party, and I was there with uh, a couple of the guys from the Young Turks, and we were kind of waiting in line, waiting and waiting in line. And you know how crazy things can get at an open bar, Lewis. Oh, of course. Yeah. And uh, as I lose my earpiece here. And when we were finally almost at the front of the line after waiting like 20 minutes, uh, a young woman cuts in front of us and orders her drink and then looks back and says, give me a break. I only make 77 cents for every dollar you guys make. So every time I hear that 77 cents number, I think of that. But the Republican argument that's being made to counteract that is that the actual gender wage gap, when you take into consideration that uh, women typically have different jobs than men, is only about five cents on the dollar. And this seems so disingenuous to me because part of the problem is that women aren't getting the same roles that men are getting. There are certain positions which uh, men are, are being given preferential treatment for and being selected for. You can't zero, act the zero out the fact that men are getting the better jobs than women and say, well, if you consider that men have the better jobs that are supposed to be higher paying, then the, the pay gap isn't really that, uh, that different. That, that's bogus to me. Mm, right. I mean, I, it's hard to factor that in because, uh, because we're just dealing with actual numbers here and actual pay. It's like saying, listen, um, it's not really true that people who discover prostate cancer earlier do better than those who discover it later. If you take into account that discovering it later is much more serious, then it's really not that true. Well, yeah, that's the point, that right. it's, it's worse to discover it later. It's worse that the women are getting certain jobs uh, and not getting certain jobs that men are getting. You can't discount that. You can't zero that out. But that is a separate issue. It's a completely separate issue. Yeah. yeah. We have literally stopped abortion in the state of Mississippi. The only thing that can factor in the Capitol since the only abortion clinic in the state of Mississippi. A bill was drafted that said if you would do perform an abortion in the state of Mississippi, you must be a certified OBGYN and you must have admitted privileges to a hospital. Anybody here in the medical field knows how hard it is to get admitted privileges to a hospital. It's going to be challenged, of course, in the Supreme Court and all, but literally we stopped abortion in the state of Mississippi legally without having Monroe versus Wade. So we, we've done that. I was proud of it. The governor signed it into law. And, of course, there you have the other side. They're like, well, the poor, pitiful women that can't afford to go out of state are just going to start doing them at home with the co That's what we heard over and over and over. But, hey, you have to have more values. You have to start somewhere, and that's what we decided to do. 
You have to have moral values. You have to start somewhere. Uh, that was Bubba Carpenter, a Mississippi state representative, a Republican, uh, bragging about what he considers to be the successful Republican effort in Mississippi to effectively ban legal abortion in that state. Technically, abortion is still legal. That's guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution. But the Republicans' plan in Mississippi is that, in practical terms, you will soon not be able to get a legal abortion anywhere in the state of Mississippi. And if that leads to women killing themselves with coat hangers, well, you have to start somewhere. You have to have moral values. In the 2008 presidential campaign, Barack Obama and Joe Biden beat John McCain and Sarah Palin, and they beat them really badly. Uh, th this was the Electoral College vote. It was not close. Uh, this was the percentage vote for the popular vote. Popular vote was not close either. And part of the reason the Democrats were able to get such a big overall margin of victory in the popular vote is that even though Republicans did have a female vice presidential nominee, the Democrats won among women hugely. The Democrats won among women voters by 13 points. Well, today the new NBC Wall Street Journal poll is out, and it shows that the Democrats are no longer ahead in this election by 13 points like they were last time. Now, instead of being ahead by 13 points, they're ahead by 15 points. Now, it's early yet, and the election is a long way off. We don't even know, for example, who the Republicans' vice presidential nominee will be this year. But that gender gap, that 15-point gender gap in the vote this year is real. It is big. Right now, it is big enough that it is potentially determinative for the election. And the Republicans know it. The most high-profile campaign committee in the Republican-controlled House of Representatives is something called the Young Guns, which is associated with House Majority Leader Eric Cantor. A few weeks ago, they unveiled a Young Guns for Gals. They're calling it YG Woman Up. Uh, it's supposed to be like Man Up, but for woman. <laughs> it's got the requisite kind of pinkish logo. The idea here is that the Republicans can't be anti-woman because they've started this young guns group for ladies so that they can work to elect all of these women to Congress. Of course, the list of candidates the young guns have endorsed is actually proportionally even less female than the House of Representatives already is right now. So if you don't think there are enough women in Congress now, then woman up and we'll make that even worse. Yeehaw! Now today, House Republicans are doing the same thing that the Young Guns did, but they're doing it writ large for the whole Republican caucus. They have announced the formation of something called a Women's Policy Committee in the House. Women's Policy Committee, is that a committee for members of Congress who are interested in policy that affects women's issues? Do not be fooled. Of course it's not that. It's just a committee for members of the House of Representatives who are themselves female and who are Republican. In publicizing this new committee of theirs, House Republicans have also perhaps inadvertently shown a light on the fact that of their 242 House Republican members, only two dozen of them are women. But just as Republicans seem bewildered that putting Sarah Palin on the ticket in 2008 did not help them do better with women voters that year, they still seem baffled by the fact that their problem with women voters isn't necessarily an image problem. It's not about whether or not Republicans look female enough. It's a policy problem. They may have unveiled something called a Women's Policy Committee today, but it has nothing to do with policy. They are keeping the same policies. They are keeping the same Republican policy positions that earned the party the War on Women title this year. They just want you to know that some of the Republicans who espouse those policies are themselves female. Feel better? 
So yeah, it is a guy named Bubba in Mississippi who is bragging about how women might soon be using coat hangers to give themselves abortions in that state, maybe killing themselves in the process. But of the 24 members of the Women's Policy Committee in the House of Representatives, according to Planned Parenthood, their collective rating on those members of Congress supporting women's reproductive rights, average together, is below 6%. As pointed out by Think Progress today, every single one of these women who was in Congress at the time voted against the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act for women to be paid equally to men. 22 of these 24 of these people in this caucus voted for the Republican rollback of the Violence Against Women Act. This is where the whole war on women idea came from. This is where that 15-point gender gap came from. It is policy. It isn't that women voters just think that Republicans are all men. It isn't that people think President Obama is a woman. It's policy, it's policy, it's policy. It is not about the chromosomes of who is in power. It is about what people are using their power for. Hi, Jay. This is Kara calling from San Francisco in response to your hate crime question about an attack or a crime against someone who's a member of a community, racial, religious, etc., being a crime against all of that community and therefore deserving in more punishment. While I hear how that explains these laws to some degree, I would argue that a crime against one is a crime against all, always, because uh, if I go with your logic, then a crime against a woman is a crime against all women. A crime against a man is a crime against all men. So we, we end up with the fact that a crime is a crime, and we are all affected by every crime. I would go then to, is punishment the way to go at all. We have not had good success with it. And if you look at the root of crime, go to Dr. Gabor Mate, for example, on you know the traumatization of, of, of both babies and youth and, and how that leads to violence. We're really punishing children and, and what we all need is, you know, the love that we didn't get and the right raising and so on. So that's another way to go on whether adding time for, you know, thought crimes makes uh, any sense at all. I think the, the whole system is, is uh, savagely broken. All right. Thanks, Jay. Bye. Hey, Jay. Uh, this is Dan, the liberal cop who called a couple of months ago about Trayvon Martin. Got finished listening to the race podcast. Thought it was interesting, thought compelling. Um, uh, like I thought, he would get charged eventually. But the narrative surrounding this and surrounding a lot of like the gun and the race conversations is the the whole you know white racist cop thing still sort of just kind of gets thrown out there and people accept it and. I just, it's its kind of tiring to me because, I mean, since Trayvon Martin was killed, 40 people have been killed in gang-related violence in the south side of Chicago, and nobody cares. It, it gets some press. It doesn't get the press it deserves. 
gang violence in this country in general doesn't get as deserved. That's a whole other conversation. But it, it's just maybe why, why doesn't it get the coverage it deserves? Because I, my theory, and this could just be white privilege guys talking, but my theory is that when you have like race, same race on same race crime like you do in the south side of Chicago, there's no agenda to be pushed. So it's not as popular. But when you have a guy like George Zimmerman who looks white and he killed a young black man, I think you have a lot of people who take advantage of that in a really horrible way and throw out things like evil white racist cops gunning down the poor, or, you know, evil white racist people gunning down the poor black kid. And people sort of run with that and accept that. And it just really bothers me because as a police officer, who's been a police officer for a decade and worked with hundreds of other police officers, I can, I've mainly met one or two people in that career who I thought judgment was even, you know, somewhat questionable, let alone full-blown racist. I mean, and, and I can tell you, as a police officer, we do profile. We profile sex and we profile age. We look for young males, period. <laughs> we look for young males of all races all over the place because those are the people that commit the crime, uh, independent of race. So I'm sure that... There are, I have no doubt there are instances of racially motivated violence um, from, coming from police officers. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I don't think that doesn't happen, but I can tell you that that's not 99% of the people in law enforcement, and it just really bothers me that, that we all sort of get painted with that broad brush when the reality of the situation is not evil white man coming to chase you down. The reality of the situation across all races is we have young people who have kids that they can't take care of them. That's the problem everywhere in poor white America and poor black America and poor Hispanic America. Young people have kids and don't properly take care of them. Period. That's the problem. Anyway, love your show. Keep it up. Hi, Jay. This is Ian from Baltimore. I just wanted to take the opportunity to reply to the topic of hate crimes. I think the person who broached the topic is making their argument out of ignorance because the thoughts of the person who committed a crime are almost always a factor in the severity of charges and punishment. The difference between a first-degree murder, murder and manslaughter, second-degree murder, etc., are all questions of intention, which is a thought. In keeping with the example of someone supporting Al-Qaeda, wouldn't we punish someone who provided material support for Al-Qaeda intentionally worse than someone who accidentally donated to an Al-Qaeda-afforded charity? Intention and thought factor in, factor in insider trading, perjury, and countless other crimes as well. So that trope that it's thought crime is utterly meaningless. The point of a crime made more severe by intention is the fact that a person committed the crime for a reason. Someone who commits an assault because of an argument in a traffic jam is not equivalent to someone who commits an assault because someone is another color, skin, or religion. The latter is worse for our society than the former and should be treated differently. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or act this call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So this uh, conversation on hate crimes legislation is interesting. People have different perspectives, obviously. Please keep those coming in if you feel the need. Uh, by far, the most interesting response I've gotten so far was from activism czar Lauren, actually, whose response to me on the phone was, oh, you didn't know that until just recently? That's interesting. To which I responded, well, yeah, you know, I didn't know it 
until I did, just like every other human on the planet and every other bit of knowledge anyone's ever had. Uh, because, yeah, why, why wouldn't I have known the fundamental underpinnings of all the criminal justice legislation just like everyone else, right? Of course. You know, but of course, of course, this conversation, just like just about every other one, devolved into a discussion of privilege. Because, so hear me out, as a straight white male, when hate crimes are committed, I don't feel an affinity, you know, with, with the victims of those crimes because people don't get attacked for being straight, white, or male very often. It's pretty rare. Whereas Lauren, on the other hand, is a member of sort of a handful of uh, different communities that, uh, you know, they can have hate crimes perpetrated against them and do on a fairly regular basis. And so when those happen, she actually feels the effects of that on the community. And so whereas I needed to be taught this concept of, of hate crimes not being just against an individual, but against a group, uh, you know, Lauren knew it by experiencing it. So, you know, that's just, a, you know, another way that I was sort of ignorant on it. But luckily I came to what I still think is the, the right conclusion. It just took me the more roundabout way to get there. So, you know, privilege has been a big topic of conversation on the show. We've been getting calls from people who say that it doesn't make sense or, it's, you know, it doesn't really exist or to say that, you know, white privilege exists is to say that all white people are born with a silver spoon in their mouth and they just have a blessed life. And, and all of these comments show a fundamental misunderstanding of what we mean when we say that privilege exists and, and, you know, so I got another call, you know, today that I, I heard saying similar things, but today I had a flash of inspiration. I'm totally confident that I'm going to have some light bulbs going off over people's heads who, you know, don't understand or don't believe in or are, are uncomfortable with the idea of privilege because I'm going to change the way I phrase it. And, and I really just think this is going to work. So to do this, let's discard all of those specifiers, white, straight, male, whatever, discard the specifiers because that, it, it, that personalizes it too much. But think of it this way. Think of it as majority privilege or possibly dominant privilege. So don't think about it, about it with a, you know, a specific element in mind. Just think back to like high school. What group of people were the majority in high school? And do you see that, you know, they had it easier in school than the minority kids who, you know, got picked on because they were different? Or, uh, you know, think, think about the dominant class in high school. You know, if, if your school had the, the classic cool kids, did they have some privilege based on their coolness, whatever that was, and how they, uh, you know, got benefits from being dominant in that way, even though they're not necessarily the, the majority, but, you know, they, whatever, they ran student government or they, uh, you know, got the good place to eat at lunch, you know, whatever it was, there was benefits connected to their privilege of being dominant. And so that is the concept we're talking about. And so when you extrapolate to the rest of the real world, just think about whatever context there is and think about the general perceptions in the world and the general effects that those have. And so in America, in 2012, white privilege exists because white people are the majority and male privilege exists because 
men are dominant. Now, it, it doesn't mean that if circumstances were to change, that those privileges wouldn't change, that, you know, white people are always privileged. No matter where you go in the world or where you go in time, white people are always going to be privileged. No, that doesn't make any sense. It's all about context. And so that's why I think if you take out the specifiers and you put in just dominant or majority, that's an easier way to understand what we're talking about. So if you're part of a majority, then it's just going to be easier for you because of the fact that there are more people like you than different from you. And so you have more you know, people that are going to see you as normal. And it's a benefit to humans to be seen as normal because that's how we figure out who we get along with and who we trust and who we distrust and so on. So that was the idea I had today. Pretty excited about it. Happy to share. Hopefully I'll remember to keep referring to the idea of privilege in this way to kind of perpetuate this idea. And, and you know, if you think it makes sense, then maybe change the way you talk and, uh, you know, we'll just roll it out from there and take over the language. So that's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening and for anyone who supports the show by becoming a member or donor. That is absolutely how the show survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips you particularly like through your social networks that can be done through the show notes on the website. To stay tuned into the show between episodes, join up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Oh